Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. In March, guest host Jim O'Grady spoke with Tony and Olivier Award-winning director Michael Grandage about his production of Disney's Frozen, Broadway musical. The film Frozen broke records at the box office for highest-grossing animated film in 2013. Frozen, the Broadway musical, received three Tony nominations. Hans is not a stranger. Okay, so what's his last name? Of the Southern Isles. That's not a last name. You've got opinions on my life and my relations, but let me tell you what. Okay, enlighten me. Love is the one thing that has zero complications, and I can trust my gut. Okay, you frighten me. Some people I'm Jim O'Grady, and this is Midday on WNYC. That music's giving me a very pleasant flashback. Disney's 2013 animated film Frozen broke the mold of Cinderella and Snow White. It was a story with two strong female leads, the sisters Anna and Elsa. Elsa grows to fear her power to freeze things and isolates herself from not just the world, but her adoring sister. And yet Anna can't let go. She risks her life and limb to rebuild their estranged relationship and assist Elsa in embracing her power. That film grossed $1.3 billion at the box office and garnered a cult following. And now Frozen the Musical is on Broadway, directed by Michael Grandage. He is known and celebrated for his intensely moving films and classic Shakespearean productions at London's West End. And now he's brought new depth and life, and I can testify to this having seen it, new depth and life to the beloved story of Frozen this month on Broadway. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. It's nice to be here. Okay, so to your beginnings, uh, you're known as a director, but you started out uh, as an actor. How did you go from one to the other? Uh, it was a pretty um, complicated segue, I guess, because I worked as an actor for 11 years, 11 or 12 years um, uh, back in the UK. Uh, but when I went into my 30s, I had a, I don't know, crisis of confidence, meltdown, whatever you want to call it, but whatever it was, I knew I couldn't go on like that. It was um, it was just not uh, the lifestyle of an actor didn't suit me. I think you have to be a very particular kind of person to go through life as an actor, which is why I admire them so much, because working with them, because you have to have a mindset that is absolutely in the right place. I was starting to get a mindset that was focusing on all sorts of other things other than the performance. So I just, and I couldn't, uh, you know, I didn't know how to how to get around it so I just remember one day I thought we've got to find something else to do I didn't know I could direct and I went off and talked to a few people about doing a production and uh, got a got a show to direct um, in one of the regional theatres in the UK and um, and it was one of those wonderful moments where I just knew from the first day I'd never wanted to do anything else and that's where I I've been since you've been doing that ever since ever since and you do big projects now how do you choose them and how do you get them going? Um, well, sometimes they choose themselves. I, uh, I try and make a mix of projects, actually. I get as much satisfaction doing um, a small play with two people as I do from doing a vast Shakespeare or a musical. Um, I just like to constantly try and 
keep pushing myself. So it's always great to do something you've not done before. Frozen's a perfect example. I've done a number of uh, musical revivals, but I've never done a new musical. And uh, when this presented itself, it was very clear to me because of the standard of uh, the score and the book that this would be a great new musical to tackle and develop with writers. And uh, the size of it, you're right, the size of it is pretty colossal. In, and, and also it comes with um, a colossal reputation. And, um, but, but it appealed to me enormously, and that's, that's kind of how I got to this project. To what extent is good theatre universal, and does it also differ from Australia to New York to wherever? I think, well, the one constant is that there is a hunger for the live theatre experience wherever you do it, and the people who uh, go to the theatre are going for a very specific reason, to try and um, really find something for themselves in what they're watching, to try and understand themselves a little better. And I think that's the great thing that appeals to me about being a theatre practitioner is that I'm in an industry that I genuinely believe can helpfully change people's lives when we get it right. We can discuss things on the stage uh, that affect people on a day-to-day -day level and we can deal politically with things, we can, we can look at our society, we can look at ourselves, we can, we can do so much and I just feel that it's a wonderful medium in which to uh, have great debate and big discussion about um, things that matter. So I think that's the common f denominator, if you like, between uh, all the countries in the world and, and, and indeed all of history that have engaged in the theatre. I do find the audiences different uh, uh, in London to here. Um, I've brought a few plays uh, from the West End to Broadway and interestingly enough every time I've done so the uh, the shift is interesting. The first uh, production I brought here was Frost Nixon uh, many years ago and uh, the axis in England was very much uh, with David Frost's character and um, sort of a, a passing interest in the character of Richard Nixon. The moment we brought it to Broadway, the focus was entirely on Richard Nixon. And nobody really um, wanted to discuss David Frost at all in the, uh, in the, in the show. Similarly, um, I brought a production a few years later about Mark Rothko called Red, a wonderful new play by John Logan. And in England, uh, it's, again, it was a two-hander. Well, it was, this was a two-hander just between uh, Mark Rothko and his assistant. And in England, um, while there's a huge love for Rothko, it was very much uh, um, and something. Uh, it was very much a show that got the audience on the side of the underdog, which is very a very British thing. And so they were behind the character of his assistant more than they were behind the character of the artist. Mm. When I came uh, with that show here, uh, it, New York kind of opened its arms to embrace uh, Rothko as. Um, uh, one of their own and uh, it was a wonderful shift again in the way the audience responded so I'm, I'm always intrigued by the fact that the two audiences are somewhat different but they share they share the same passion for the project so you're saying Americans choose the wrong characters? No, Nixon I'm saying <laughs> no. Actually, well, it's interesting. We played uh, Frost Nixon. No, it's on the contrary. Actually, I think it's quite. It's very. It's fascinating. They really do relate to uh, 
um, the characters in a very specific way. When we came with the Frost Nixon play, I, uh, Bush was in the um, White House and uh, there was a discussion in the auditorium. I remember it every night happening where people were discussing the outcome of uh, the Nixon. Because he's, you know, in, in Peter Morgan's play, he's a hugely, um, wonderfully coherent character who uh, you have to rethink when you're watching that play, from rethink from history. The Rothko play is called Red, and yeah. you're doing it again in May with Alfred Molina and Alfred Enoch. That's right. right. That's right. We did, um, it was we never did it in the West End. We did it in a, I, I ran a theatre in London called the Donma, um, which is a very small uh, theatre in Covent Garden, and we did a short run of it there, and then brought it to Broadway. But we never played the West End, and um, uh, Alfred Molina, who created the role of Rothko said he had one last run in him <laughs> in this play and I said well shall we do it in the West End we've never done it there before and uh, that's how it happened it's because of his availability and um, and a wish to just get it to a larger audience in London because Rothko is a tortured <clears throat> character and these are very sophisticated almost literary stories uh, dramas and then someone comes to you and says, I know, let's take a Disney cartoon and turn it into a Broadway play. Why did you say yes to that? I said yes simply because the story is exciting to me as a director. When I first saw the film, I remember responding to it in a very positive way and then went about my life. And then when they came back to me uh, a year and a half ago and asked if I'd be interested in directing this for the stage, I watched the film again. And I found in it a story that's very... Uh, very charismatic and very important, I think, in terms of uh, the, the many layers it has. I also saw structurally something that excited me. It reminded me uh, of some of the plays I've directed from the Shakespeare canon, some of those beautiful pastoral comedies, like As You Like It, where two two young women, their cousins rather than sisters in As You Like, who are trapped in this castle at the beginning of the play and free themselves from the castle and go out into the landscape and in doing so find love. And then Twelfth Night, which I've directed two times actually, uh, at the end there's uh, uh, twins who both presume each other dead and they are reconciled in the very final scene. And uh, and you, you know as a director you have to make that very, very moving, profoundly moving if the whole um, experience is going to work. I just kept seeing um, uh, in the story of Frozen parallels uh, just in terms of the arc uh, that I understood. And of course Shakespeare for us is one of the great populist playwrights of all time. He's the one who gets, gets his message out there to the masses. Huge appeal. And I knew Frozen had to do that as well. So it was a way, all it was was a way in for me, that's all. Because mm. as a director of um, a lot of Shakespeare I find it very, uh, I, I always like some, uh, I always like um, a road map if you like, uh, to help me understand understand the kind of thing I'm taking on but then then there is this as you rightly allude to this huge um, framework of Disney's um, massive success that one want, doesn't want to disappoint all these people who know this very very famous film so there it is common ground between Shakespeare and <laughs> Walt Disney yeah finally <laughs> I'm Jim O'Grady I'm speaking with Tony and Olivier award-winning director Michael Grandage about turning Disney's Frozen into a new Broadway musical this is Midday on WNYC. We'll be right back after a break. Right. Has the dark in me finally come to light? Am I a monster full of rage? Nowhere to go but on a rampage. And here I am in this room again. 
as lost and small That lonely girl with a desperate heart Is who I am after all I'm Jim O'Grady. This is Midday on WNYC and WNYC.org. I'm here with Michael Grandage, director of Frozen, the musical on Broadway. You've just said, okay, you decide to take on this enormous project, and now you have to go about adopting, adapting a film to the stage. You add musical numbers. What else do you do? Well, you have to find a language that, uh, d- that doesn't do what the movie does because you're in a completely different place to that. And uh, that's been part of the joy. The design of Frozen is obviously going to be a massive part of how we present Frozen. So that was the, that was the big starting point for us, I guess, which was coming up with a world where you can do ice strikes, a world where you can turn uh, surfaces that, sh- that Elsa touches to ice and uh, tell those stories <laughs> and uh, a world uh, where you can go to multi-locations like a film can but somehow take the audience with you within one space. Mm. So it's, um, it's a challenge that from... Uh, it, whenever you, t- I think, take a film adaptation onto the stage, you've got to find a new language and you're, uh, we're blessed in this case with a very large ensemble, a cast of over 30 and... Uh, with people, we can tell all sorts of stories, and the choreographer Rob Ashford and the designer Christopher Oram and a whole a huge team of people from uh, projection designers, lighting designers, and uh, um, across the board, we all have to come up with something where you um, can tell that story every night in a very specific way. Some, I, I mean, th- the pressure, I suppose, such as it is, is making sure that you don't disappoint people who know the movie. The pressure is on all of you. <laughs> this is a beloved movie. These are beloved characters. Mm-hmm. You better not mess it up. <laughs> and I read, tell me if this is correct, it cost about $30 million just to get you to opening night. I'd love to tell you the figure if I knew it. They've been very good with me because they've never told, they've never specifically told me what the budget is, and I'm rather pleased, actually. It's, I think the pressure of that as well would have finished me off. But um, we've carried on. Uh, they've been very supportive, uh, Disney, all the way through in terms of uh, letting us realise our... Uh, aspirations for this piece and uh, helping us, guide us. They've got a great deal of experience in this area. And uh, I've found the uh, whole process, and it's been about a year and a half uh, for me since I first joined it to uh, our opening night, which is this Thursday. Uh, It's been a a, a creatively very rewarding journey. I've... um, uh, I've learnt a lot, and I've uh, and I've loved working with living writers. I mean, I spend quite a lot of my time working with dead writers because that's <laughs> the nature of uh, working on on uh, on revivals uh, that are very old. Uh, it's it's a very refreshing um, uh, thing indeed to be able to turn to a composer and say, I think we need something here that's going to develop this storyline in this direction, and they go away and come back with something, and you you know, it's a it's a wonderful thing. I sometimes I see Broadway plays. I have never seen anything like this. The technology, the lighting, the costumes, the sound, the special effects. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a movie. How, how, explain some of these things. How do you even fit the theater to hold all these effects? It's hard. And uh, if you go backstage, you'll see astonishing sights <laughs> where you can see all of the things you see on stage that look like they've got the space to breathe and suddenly cramped into uh, parts of this theater because it's all, uh, you know, the ergonomics of it are very, very uh, um, hard to fathom. But uh, the truth is, I we were all 
charged with putting on a Broadway musical, and that comes with all sorts of other words attached to it. Broadway spectacle, you want you want all sorts of things, and people are going to pay to come out to see a show, and we wanted very much to make sure we gave them a show, a spectacular show from start to finish. But I was also in, at the centre of that with all the effects that we were discussing and the costumes and the sets and the lights and the projections and everything. I was also aware you wanted something that was emotionally charged, something that you, that you really were able to cry with and laugh with along the way, and for that we need actors at the centre of it. And we've been blessed um, with this company, this first company, the company that are creating this show. They are out there every night going on a very uh, remarkable journey uh, and they're acting as well as singing and as well as dancing, which is the which are the requirements of a Broadway musical. But I, uh, it's you know many people know the story. You saw saw it, and you you know that we have to go to um, deep and profound places in this story. And I, I wanted to give that side of it as well. So it's a combination of all of those things that I think make up the evening. The actors who play Elsa and Anna are just stars. Yeah, they're just they're simply stars. Yeah, they're they're wonderful because they've really seized the opportunity of uh, sort of abandoning their um, animated counterparts <laughs> and moving into the real world. And we've got a great comedian in uh, Paddy Murin and this wonderful uh, actress who understands Elsa's tragedy uh, in Casey Levy. And I just think um, uh, it's helped all of us define this production by having to start the production, these people who are really um, getting behind uh, the the emotion that's required, um, not just beneath the service, but absolutely uh, in front of uh, all of these people every night to be able to convey. We've, we, we're, we're very blessed. So you give them spectacle, but you also have to give them some substance. You have to give them emotion, like you were describing. Yeah. And I found it interesting, there were moments in the in the show that are meditations on power. Because Queen Elsa has this power that's that's too strong yeah. and destructive in some ways, and she has to learn how to manage it. Yeah. How did you bring that out? Well, we really did take nothing for granted that's gone before. I think that was the important thing. This film does exist, but we had to kind of abandon that at a certain level and start a debate in the rehearsal room about exactly what that means what, everything you've just described let's go through that I remember with Casey sitting down with this iconic song Let It Go um, which is about uh, a woman who's, who has uh, who, has try, who is trying to harness what she's uh, discovered is within her in, in a positive way but I remember th saying you know everybody kind of knows the lyrics to this or thinks they know the lyrics of this but in context we should start again I think let's just let's li quite literally go through word by word, beat by beat of this song, and discover the kind of existential debate she's having on this mountaintop with herself, um, and, and, and take it as far as we can, and then let's see if this song gets newly minted because of it. And that, that process that I've just described, we, had, we did all the way through the show with everybody. We took everything on uh, and tried to look at it as if it had no history. I think one of the things I've always tried to do as a director when I've done a revival, or, and certainly when I've done something like this where you go from a film to the stage, is treat it as if it's a brand new play. 
uh, or a brand new piece as if an audience have never seen it before. I always say Twelfth Night and Hamlet, they were new plays once. One night they were new. No audience knew what was coming next. They went to that theatre and they said, well, it's got a funny title, Hamlet. What does it mean? <laughs> they sat down and they watched it and they had no idea what was going to happen. And somehow that's a responsibility of a director to try and do that with everything you do. Imagine it's being seen for the very first time. How do you tell that story? How do you take an audience beat by beat through it so they stay in touch with it, stay connected to it, stay moved by it and, st- and laugh with it and cry with it and all of that? How do you do that? And the only way you can do it is by throwing away what's... You, you could keep looking over your shoulder at uh, what's gone before, or you could throw it all away and just sit down and treat it as something new. And that's what we try to do, do with Frozen, the Broadway musical. I'm going to guess that every child in the world has seen Frozen in the movie, <laughs> but not a lot of adults. Mm-hmm. Well, I should say that. There's a fair number of adults mm-hmm. that haven't. So they're going to be experiencing the story and the spectacle in the in the St. James Theater for the first time. Yeah. So your trick then is to put up a show that appeals to kids and adults. Correct. How do you do that? Well, I'm an adult and I'm directing it and it's and I need to do and I need to, I need to do something that I can relate to myself and I'm and something that means something to me uh, while hoping all the children will take care of themselves because they'll come as you say with a great knowledge of the piece and I don't want to let any of them down. I want to make sure they get what they know but they still get the snow Man, they still get the talking jokes. snowman cracking jokes. <laughs> they still get Olaf in there, and they get a reindeer. They get all of the all of the characters they hopefully love and know, and we hope. And we hopefully take them on a journey, um, you know, further than they've been on even in the film. But uh, it's really also got to appeal to adults, and that's part of my job, I guess, which is to, to, and it goes back to what I was just saying a moment ago, which is directed as if nobody has ever seen it before, and hopefully when an adult comes in to see this show, they'll see a grown-up show. Well, um, and I didn't get to the question of how you've turned the mythical land of Arendelle into a diverse place Same through your casting. We've, we absolutely want to do a production that represents the world we live in, and that's yeah. certainly happening on the St. James stage. Okay, I've been speaking with Tony and Olivier award-winning director Michael Grandage about turning uh, the Broadway musical Frozen, uh, well, turning it into a spectacle. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.